And for your last two lectures of the week, I want to cover eating disorders, and psychopathology will then be done for the moment. And then we're going to switch gears and talk about theories of behavior from the psychological perspective and focus on behavioral theory and specifically how we learn through classical conditioning, how we learn through operant conditioning, and then that will carry over till Monday. But for the first hour, eating disorders. There are three official diagnoses that we can give to someone, and then all the other aberrant self-image and eating disturbances that don't meet the very formal criteria of anorexia, bulimia, or binge eating disorder, then they're in the unspecified. What do you think about, of these diagnoses, which one has probably the most people in it? Probably unspecified, because as we go through the criteria, like, geez, that's pretty, there's a, there's a lot of specifics that are required. So maybe there's one or 2% of people that have anorexia or bulimia or binge eating, but how many percent of women in particular have some sort of self-image problem and once in a while vomit and once in a while, but not enough to say you're probably a lot more people in the unspecified. But nonetheless, we'll go through each of these. For anorexia, one of the essential criteria is that you are deliberately underweight. What does it mean to be underweight? Well, we are looking at body mass index, and the Center for Disease Control says that normal BMI, healthy BMI, basically starts at 18.5, as far as the lower limit of what would be healthy. Does that mean if you have a BMI of 18.4, you're now checkmarked for this? Mm, there's some judgment whether you want to say. It depends a little bit on, is that always been their weight? And, or are they went from a high BMI and they're on their way lower than maybe 18.4 is enough to say, yeah, they're, they're there. But it's a gray zone, and you don't necessarily want to check that at, in that gray zone. What, what DSM says is that we know it is truly underweight when your BMI is less than 17. So for the purposes of this course, I'm not going to give you BMIs in the gray zone. I'll give you something that is less than 17, or I'm going to give it above, clearly above 18.5. So you're looking, when you think significantly underweight, you're looking at BMI less than 17. Keep in mind that for children, that there is much more variance variance in the body fat based on your gender and based on the precise age you are. So the straightforward calculation is translated into a percentile ranking. So usually you won't say, oh, here's a 13-year-old and their BMI is 14. They're going to express it as a percentile ranking. When it's expressed this way, then what you're looking for is someone who has a BMI that is less than the fifth percentile, which means that 95% of the population, that person's age and gender, would have more body fat than you. So that's trying to tell you you're probably underweight. So looking for a BMI less than 17 or a percentile ranking less than the fifth percentile. Being deliberately underweight is not sufficient. You also need to have evidence that this person is basically fat phobic that they are desperately afraid of putting on weight, despite the fact, by definition, they are underweight. So they will likely be someone who is constantly counting calories, trying to figure out how much they're burning, and 
will be weighing themselves, measuring themselves, looking at themselves, very, very preoccupied with the fear that they might gain weight. And then the third essential criterion is that they have distorted judgment about what they look like. So they are underweight, and yet they think they're still fat. They think they should lose weight. They should be on a diet, despite the fact that reality says they should not be. What does that sound like, that third symptom, when you have preoccupation, you're fearful of something that makes you look, that, that you think you look horrible even though, it sounds like body dysmorphic disorder. And that's why if we go back to that diagnosis, it says don't diagnose BDD if they have anorexia because anorexia captures it in the third symptom. They have that distorted judgment. They think they look horrible. They think they're obese when they're not. They don't have the flaw of being too fat. So it is BDD. It's basically symptom number three is having body dysmorphic problems. Now, just to bring this to light a little bit, this, these are a couple of patients who are inpatients in an eating disorders clinic. And this person, I'd, they never reported the BMI, but if you're 63 pounds or 75 pounds and look like that, it's, chances are your BMI is very, very low. And yet she is saying, even having put on, well, she's put on 12 pounds, and those photos are of her at 75 pounds. So you can imagine what she would have looked like 12 pounds lighter. And she is still saying, I look in the mirror and I see an obese person that should be on a diet. I would, since I've been in this clinic and they make me weigh and I'm so afraid of looking at how much I'm gaining, I'd rather step on hot coals than be weighed and see that I've gained weight. So this is very distorted judgment, very opposed to gaining weight, doesn't want to, doesn't want to gain weight, and yet this person is emaciated. This person is very, very skeletal. Another example, here's someone that... Uh, on your left is a picture of her now at 110 pounds. When she was admitted, she was 66 pounds. Again, I don't know BMI, but that's not very much body weight. So in the clinic, she has put on, what is that, 44 pounds. In an inpatient setting, they've put 44 pounds on her. She's just about ready to be released from the inpatient clinic. And as part of the transition to going home, she was allowed to spend the weekend with her parents who took her to the mall and try on new clothes and get used to the fact that she has to wear bigger clothes than she did. And she says that she broke down in the mall, bawling, crying hysterically because she felt so ugly and it was humiliating that she couldn't put on the clothes that she used to be able to put on and had to wear bigger sizes. What is that telling you about her readiness to be released even after you put on 44 pounds on her? not ready to be released, and they ultimately released her. And sure enough, with that cognitive mindset that still says, I'm ugly and horrible looking, that what did she go and do? She was readmitted to the hospital, not expecting to live because she had dropped to like 62 pounds and had pneumonia and wasn't expected to survive. So it's giving you a little glimmer into the, the world of someone with anorexia. They can be very very, very thin, still think they need to be thinner, and you try to change their mindset, try to change their behaviors, and then they go out in the real world again and oftentimes relapse. When we identify that someone has anorexia, we subtype them. And the key to subtyping is asking the question, does this person regularly binge 
or purge. Now, the subtype is called the binge eating slash purging type, but there is an, a missing and or that should be there. In other words, it's a, when you see that, you're not saying they do both. You can do one, you can do the other, you can do both. Oftentimes, people think that if you say binge eating purging type, that means you must have both. You don't. You could just be the purger and never binge eat. You're still the binge eating purge type. If you say, yeah, I regularly binge and purge, then you are that subtype. Even if you starve yourself, even if you exercise all night long, it doesn't matter if you say yes to that question, you are that subtype. If you say, no, I don't really do that, or I did a year ago, but that's not what I've done recently, then you are likely underweight because you are not eating much and you are exercising a lot. So you become the restricting type. And just to give you an idea of what a restrictor might do, is that could be their daily, that could be their daily consumption, not one meal, but their daily consumption. And to know your calories and know exactly what foods you can eat and how much is accumulating, that's not a, that's not a, a normal caloric intake by any means. And oftentimes people with eating disorders will be very ritualistic. They'll have the same things. They'll have to have food on the plate in a certain way. They'll eat at certain times. They might have very different rituals around their eating. They don't just eat that all at one time. They would have certain rituals around it. So tell me, is this person anorexic? If so, what type? Let me see if I can get this out of the way. Sorry, it's missing a not here. This should say she does not meet criteria for anorexia. Forgot that word, kind of important. So for eating disorders questions, I usually start with, do I know their BMI? because that'll help guide me which direction I should start doing a checklist approach. BMI, she's under eight, she's a child, so we're looking at a percentile ranking for a BMI. Is she underweight? Yes, if she's underweight, then I start looking at whether she's anorexic. She's underweight, she also must also, she must also have some sort of fear of gaining weight. And it says she's fearful of gaining weight. Does she have a disturbance in her body image? The fact that she still thinks she wants to be thinner says she's got a disturbance in her body image. So she does meet criteria for anorexia. Which type, you ask? Does she regularly binge or purge? Yes, she purges, but she doesn't binge, doesn't matter, she does one or the other or both, then she is the binge eating, purging type. And Maybe I didn't elaborate, but purging actually has a precise definition. I think most people, when you hear purging, say, oh, yeah, that's vomiting. But what if they don't vomit? What if they just abuse laxatives? That's still considered purging. If you abuse diuretics, that's still purging. If you use enemas, 
then that's still purging. So there's a precise definition that goes beyond merely vomiting. It could be these other forms of, ex of excretion. The vast majority of people with eating disorders are women, although there's finding, interestingly, even though most eating disorders starts like puberty-ish, that eating disorders clinics are finding an increase in like 10-year-olds that are getting, that have eating disorders and entering clinics. And when they're 10 years old, it's like 50-50 boys and girls. So things are changing perhaps because of a lot of publicity about the obesity crisis in the, in, in the US and more, more pressure to be thinner. But they're seeing that boys are being affected by this as well too. But overall, it's by far more a female-dominated problem. And certainly those at increased risk are those that have occupations that require, demand more, more thinness, models, dancers, athletes, so forth. So puberty, chronic, usually ups and downs courses where maybe there's a, while, a, a period of time where I'm okay, I'm okay with my weight, I'm okay with my weight, and then stress, whatever might catalyze a, a, a relapse. But it tends to be very chronic. And you can imagine that if you are that underweight, that many things are affected as far as health goes. And that's one of the problems with really finding out what causes anorexia is because by the time you're labeled as anorexic, you're already in starvation mode. So the changes we see, are they what caused you to become anorexic or are they just a consequence of being anorexic? We just know that it's, uh, it has high morbidity, high mortality. Some say that this is the psychiatric disorder with the highest mortality rate because they die from the starvation. Some will die because they actively take their life because they're so in distress about their weight and they're tired of the, the sort of obsessionality of it. What would, as physicians, suggest to you that someone is underweight and perhaps has an eating disorder? Well, certainly BMI is a hint, but you also find that reproductive functions shut down, so typically you lose your menstruation, you usually don't have any libido, you could have GI problems, you can have everything kind of slow down. So whether it's your heart rate, your blood pressure, generation of white blood cells, generation of red blood cells, everything is affected. Now the one thing that seems a little odd to me when I first saw it and someone came to me, this has got to be a typo in your notes. And the fact is they have high cholesterol and not just, oh, borderline high, it's usually over 300. How can you? You're eating celery. You saw the list. There's no... How can you possibly have high cholesterol? And I think that one of the explanations is that whatever, meta whatever cholesterol your body does generate, it is not metabolizing, it's hoarding it because it knows it's not getting it from external sources. And supposedly once you refeed them, once they are back to normal weight, that the, the cholesterol problem normalizes. So it's not there permanently that way. But the idea is many parts, many systems, many organs are affected by being in a starvation mode. What would suggest to you, not just that they're underweight, but they might be vomiting, they might be purging through vomiting? One indicator is if the person is using their hands to, to induce vomiting, that they often develop calluses on the back of their hand from the back of their hand hitting their teeth over and over and over again. And Russell sign is the term for the callus buildup on the back of their hand. 
From the excessive vomiting, stomach acid, you can see several consequences. One is they often have very raggedy, moth-eaten looking teeth, so, so dental decay. And they have inflammation of the salivary glands from the constant vomiting. Okay, so they have typically puffy cheeks. And then from the pressure change from vomiting, 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 they often do have burst blood vessels in their eyes. So that might be an indicator. If you're vomiting a lot, you very well could lose electrolytes and, and potassium being one specifically that you might see low. Keep in mind that what if you establish that this person that you're seeing doesn't vomit? Nope, I don't ever vomit. Does that mean they can't have an eating disorder? You can have a, a very severe eating disorder and you've never vomited. So vomiting isn't a requirement, it's often seen. But it's not a requirement. You look at anorexics, you could be the restricting type, and you don't vomit ever. You could even be bulimic, and you don't vomit. You have to do something else, but you don't necessarily have to vomit. And keep in, keep in mind, though, the Russell sign, one thing I wanted to mention, is that not all people who vomit actually need to use an instrument. Some people, as they sort of get used to the fingers, might have to use electrical cord or something a little bit more pronounced to, to induce the gag reflex, but some, after so long, are able to just do it on their own. They're called hands-free vomiters. And they can just, kind of like if you tried to belch, if you tried to belch, open up your esophageal sphincter, and so you like, act like you're belching, but then you have a little muscle, stomach muscle contraction, and they can vomit without instruments. Just in case you want to. So why, what's going on in the world of anorexia? We don't know what for sure causes it. We know there's multiple contributing factors. The biggest risk factor for becoming anorexic is going on a diet. Why do you go on a diet? Because one, one suggestion is that that is what Western society values is thinness and the, the message to many people is that if you are thinner, then you are somehow more valuable, more lovable, more employable. You're going to wear the best clothes and get the best relationships and somehow thinness is associated with success. So there's a lot of pressure saying if you lose weight, then good things will happen to you basically. So there is pressure, cultural pressures to be thin. Some argue that some people go on a diet in adolescence, not so much I mean, some of the, yeah, people likely like to look, be thinner and look, be healthier. But sometimes it's used as a means of establishing independence from parents. Because parents, in some cases, are over-controlling and over-protective and say no a lot. And you, as a teenager, who, as you develop, are trying to become autonomous, are getting frustrated with the, no, you can't, no, you can't. And then what can you, what can you control in your life? what I eat, and you can't make me. It's a little oppositional behavior going on. So some people might use it as a tool to say, control me all you want, but you can't control this. Well, when someone would suggest, well, what if when they're out of the, they're, they're an adult. They don't have parents who are over-controlling their life now. Can you still see that control issue come into play? And you do see someone, for example, who has an eating disorder, it's been under control, and then life goes out of control. Academics aren't going well, fighting with the roommate, relationship issues with your intimate partner, everything's chaotic. So what do you do? What does that person do? Relapse. 
they all of a sudden can control their intake. They're going to exercise and they're going to restrict. And finally, they are imposing control in their life over one aspect. So you do see this control issue come into play oftentimes. And then some suggest that those that are anorexic tend to be those that you know, they want to be the straight-A student. They want to be the best athlete. They, want, they, they are perfectionistic and want to be the best. And if they are losing weight and someone else is losing weight, you, they're competitive. I want to be thinner than you. I want to be the thinnest. I want to be the best student. I want to be the... And it becomes part of their, their perfectionism. And on top of all this, what happens when someone starts to lose weight? What do other people say? You're looking great. Oh, I wish I was as thin as you. Oh, I wish I could wear clothes like that. Oh, and do they reinforce down to even a very, very thin structure? Yes. People are getting reinforced long past when someone looks healthy, and yet they're still getting reinforced. And internally, they feel good. They're feeling good because they feel healthier. They're feeling good because they can wear smaller clothes, and they're being good at what they do. So there's a lot of reinforcement going on with anorexia. Now, they have established that anorexia runs in families. And beyond just, well, I had a mother who was eating disordered, and I saw it. Every day of my life, I saw her. In fact, my mother and I played this game called chew and spit. I don't want the calories from this candy, so I chew, 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 and we sit on the sidewalk, chew, 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 and we spit it so we get minimum calories. Now, is that why you became, as a child, and eating disordered? Well, it didn't help. But even if you weren't raised by someone that was eating disordered, just born to that person, you're still at risk even if you're raised by adopted family and the adopted family doesn't have eating disordered traits. So there's something heritable. What is it possibly that you are inheriting? The drive to lose so much weight that you die? That just cannot be an adaptive trait to have. So it's probably not this desire to not eat and starve yourself, but it could be a trait that says you, have, you are obsessional. You have that kind of addictive personality. And if you already are addictive, perfectionistic person, obsessional, well, I could be that way about drugs. I could be that way about shopping. I could be that way about a lot of different things. But because everywhere I look, every magazine I read, every show I watch says you should be thin, now all of a sudden you've given me my channel. You have... You have actually directed me to what I will be perfectionistic, obsessional about. So lots of contributing factors, nothing definitive, but definitely multifactorial. How do we treat someone with anorexia? You, you saw in the two cases I started with, that these are people that don't want treatment in the sense that treatment means gaining weight. And what do they not want? By symptom checklist, they don't want to gain weight. They're fearful of it. It scares them. So it's very, very challenging to get someone into treatment. Oftentimes, it's not until parents or some loved one encourages the person, or they have, they're passing out in gym class. They're, they're, they're having medical complications that bring the disorder to light, and then they get into treatment. And a lot of treatment is, well, main goal, you got to get weight on them. That's just health-wise, you need to nourish them, get calories into them. Somewhere along the line, though, you've got to change their thoughts. You've got to change the way they, they think about their body, think about food, think about weight, and you have to somehow get them to change their behaviors. 
Now, in the hospital setting, we use a lot of what we'll talk about today and, and Monday is behavioral techniques like if you put on your one pound or 1.5 pounds this week, then here's your reward. If you don't put on the weight by the end of the week, then, and here's your punishment. So you have to figure out what works for that person. Maybe it's you can get your iPad back. You can use your internet for X number of time. You've got to figure out what is actually motivating them to want to comply, even though they really don't want to, but they want their internet back. As a, an extreme example of how this reinforcement punishment thing might work with an anorexic, one threat was if you don't put on the weight by the end of this week or next week, then we are going to put a, a gastrointestinal tube in you and you're going to get fed that way. That's supposed to be a punishment. That's encouragement to put on your weight. This particular case, not a problem. That was not a punishment. In her mind, this gave her easy access to her stomach contents. And that if she ate a cracker then, she wouldn't have to vomit it up. She could just, she had already purloined a syringe from one of the nurses and had it hidden so she could take out the tube, put in the syringe, suck out the contents, and think that she wasn't getting the calories from the, the cracker. That's the mindset oftentimes you see in someone with this type of eating disorder. So figure out what is reinforcing and what actually is punishing to people. In this supervised inpatient setting, you do have people watching over you. And this is just to give you an idea of the rules and regulations in, a, in such a, a setting, is that if you went for a meal, you get one napkin, one napkin only. If you want another one, you turn in your other one, and we're going to make sure there's nothing in it that you've spit out or thrown up. And no hoodies, no jackets, no blankets. This is like exam conditions to eat, right? Exam conditions. So it's very controlled, very regimented. And you can understand then how you can put on 44 pounds on a person over time in this very supervised setting. There's no opportunity for you to burn it off, throw it up, somehow disguise it. So it does take a lot of micromanagement of the person's behaviors to make sure that they don't undermine the goal of gaining weight. And that's why it's not just putting on weight, but you've got to at the same time somehow get them to understand that you're still valued as a person. You're not worth less because you have more body fat on you. You have to get them to understand how destructive their behaviors are and want them to change the way they eat. They have to learn how to eat all over again. They don't even know how, what a, a healthy, balanced meal is anymore. So cognitive behavioral therapy is trying to change their thoughts and their behaviors about weight, food, body image. And it's a challenge. It, it, it sometimes doesn't work at all. Sometimes it works, but temporarily until they go back home and want to be super thin again. We don't have any FDA-approved drugs for anorexia? Could you give antidepressants? Could you give some sort of appetite stimulant? An antipsychotic often is an ap appetite stimulant, can make you put on weight. Does that help the problem? Not necessarily, and there are no approved drugs, or if they're used, they're used off-label, but nothing consistently effective. And keep in mind that people with anorexia had an appetite at some point. They're just really good at ignoring it. It's not a matter of you, the more you stimulate my appetite, the more they're going to just ignore it. So it's not a matter of stimulating their appetite necessarily. They've got to want to put on the weight. 
So no meds to memorize. It's cognitive behavioral therapy to try to change the way they behave, the way they think. And as you saw, that in the short-term battle, you might win in the sense that you can get them healthier BMI. But the long-term war is maybe not over because they go back into that same environment, free of anyone watching them, and they often do relapse. So it's a chronic up-and-down type of course. How does that contrast with bulimia? Bulimia, you must binge eat. You must. That is required. What is a binge? Binge says you eat way too much in an uncontrolled, sort of out-of-control fashion. What is way too much? Well, there's no caloric definition. It's just, DSM says, if you heard about it, you'd know it. That is just too much. And to give you an example, here would be a binge. We don't need to know calories. We just know that is just too much. Whoever you are, it's too much. Now, can, consider this. Okay, consider this. this. This might be, say, 3,000, 5,000 calories, oftentimes is a, a typical binge. And then they vomit it up, and they could do it again the same day. So this is not just once a week. This could be several times a day they binge to this extent. So again, it's eating too much. It feels like a feeding frenzy. They just can't stop. It's, and they don't feel happy about the fact that they did it. So they're out of control, eating too much. And the second requirement is that you must inappropriately compensate. Now, inappropriate compensation may be through purging, and often is through purging, and specifically through vomiting. But again, it could be any form of purging, not just vomiting, but those other methods. Then you could have what would be a way of inappropriately compensating without purging. And that just means you are now exercising through the night, through the day. You're not eating for days at a time. So you're doing something not just, okay, I binged. Let's just be sensible. Let's cut back a little bit. Let's exercise a little bit more. This would be more radical exercise and radical kind of starvation diets to inappropriately compensate for the binge. There is a frequency requirement that you see. So it does say that you have to have done this for several months. And not just once a month. It has to be, on average, this once per week for three months. There is, and this is why I point out, is that what if I only do this once a month? That doesn't make me bulimic, but it still is concerning. And if I did this once per month for my whole life, I'm probably, I'm going to be unspecified. And the reason why someone is binging, purging, binging, purging, or binging, I should say inappropriately compensating, is still it comes down to they want to be thinner. They're, they are worried about their weight. They want to lose weight. And unfortunately, they are not able to healthily lose weight. They, in fact, are doing the opposite. They're usually maintaining their weight or even gaining a little bit of weight because of their binging.
So once again, I guess with the purpose of this question is show here's someone who binges, here's someone who purges. Why isn't this bulimia? BMI. And it just shows you how similar the behaviors can be. And when it comes down to it, the behaviors can be identical. It's just what is your BMI? And as soon as your BMI is low enough, you're going to be called anorexic. And in that case, if you look like the, the bulimic but anorexic, you're probably the anorexic who is the binge purge type. Okay. All right, so for those of you who put bulimia, recognize that anorexia better captures the eating pathology because she's underweight and significantly underweight. So anorexia can, she is underweight, she's fearful of gaining weight, she's got distorted judgment about her weight, she's anorexic, and then you ask, does she binge or purge? She does regularly, therefore she is the binge purge type. Anorexia better captures it. For bulimia, no, no subtypes. Could they, be, could they be significantly underweight? No, because if they're significantly underweight, they're anorexic. Could you be overweight? Yes. Could you be normal weight? Yes. It just depends a little bit on how much you consume when you binge and how inappropriately you are compensating. But be, despite the, how much you saw that one person ate in a binge, that person could be just marginally overweight. You would think, geez, eating that much a lot? But by definition, they inappropriately compensate, which means they are compensating greatly for their caloric intake, not perfectly. They could be average weight, they could be above weight, but they definitely aren't underweight. Once again, puberty, ripe time, and I've tried to emphasize that a lot of the behaviors are similar between anorexic bulimics, so that, for example, if you binged and purged, so bulimic behavior, but your BMI is low, you're going to be anorexic. You can binge and purge the same exact behaviors, but not be underweight which tells you your compensation isn't as much as your, your intake, and then in that case, bulimic. So you can see someone who, they're in the hospital, they're underweight, they're anorexic. Now, they're still binging, purging, binging, purging regularly, but they're not underweight, so now the diagnosis is, so they, they vacillate between having anorexia and bulimia, but it, you can't have them at the same time. But you, one person could have both diagnoses depending on their BMI. Now, in general, someone who binge eats um, and purges or inappropriately compensates still can have medical complications, clearly. And especially, think about if you are purging, vomiting, and you're using drugs like Ipecac to induce your vomiting, that, in, that drug in and of itself can cause heart damage. So you still can have significant consequences for overeating and, and inappropriately compensating. But overall, they're not underweight. So if you compared health hazards, probably anorexia is more risky compared to the bulimic as far as health consequences, although both can be, have severe outcomes. What happens in the world of bulimia? A lot of people suggest that this is the way it starts. I want to lose weight. I want to look better. I want to wear that dress on Saturday night for the reunion or the wedding or, that I'm going to attend, and I just want to lose weight fast because I want people to notice and like me. 
So then what do you do if you want to lose weight fast? Starve yourself. I'm not going to eat all day. And then come nighttime, you are so ravenous that you now overeat. You eat more than if you had just eaten normally throughout the day. And then you say, geez, I really need to lose weight, but I've already broken my diet. So if I'm going to break my diet, I might as well really break the diet and finish off the bag of cookies and finish off the bag of chips, and it'll start tomorrow. So they end up turning this overeating into a bigger overeating, hence kind of binge-like episodes. And then after they realize, holy moly, what have I eaten? They feel horrible. They feel guilty. They're not only not losing weight, they might have just put on weight. And now they definitely won't fit in the dress they want to fit in. And so how do you get rid of the distress? You find some way to get rid of those calories that you just consumed. So whether it's through purging or non-purging means, and then they engage in it. They vomit it up. They exercise all night. They, and then you feel better. Oh, whew. You've just reinforced the whole inappropriately compensation. Now, what they suggest that might be happening in bulimia is that, yes, you, you, you go on a diet because you want to look better, and you have an untenable, unsustainable diet, and then you do something extreme to get rid of the calories you consume. The idea is that someone who's bulimic often is impulsive. You can diet, you can like eat, and then say, boy, I would love two scoops of ice cream. I'd love the two gallons of ice cream, but I can put on the brakes and say, mm, it does taste good, but think about it and don't act on your impulses. And the suggestion is someone with bulimia has a brake problem, someone that frontal lobe, serotonin, they're just not inhibiting impulses that we might all want. I want to eat more cookies too, but at some point you say, not hungry anymore. So the suggestion that there is some sort of impulse control issue, serotonin imbalance is suggested, and in fact, there are bulimic drugs. There are officially approved, FDA-approved drugs for bulimia, and they are what kind of drugs? Likely are antidepressants, SSRIs, to help with, with impulse control. Now, treatment of bulimics. Treatment, oftentimes patients do come to an eating disorders clinic voluntarily. They finally, maybe it's been a few years, but they finally say, I can't take it anymore. I'm so preoccupied with, I want to lose weight, I overeat, I throw up, and after all this turmoil and exhaustion and, and preoccupation, what's, what's the ultimate outcome with their body? They're still not underweight. They're still not... They, so they're still not happy with their body image, and yet they're stuck in this cycle that they can't stop. So they often are motivated, they come forward, and that just makes that person easier to treat than someone who's anorexic resisting you the whole way in the, in the process. So oftentimes, they do show up by self-referral. You can treat them outpatient-wise, since it's not usually as catastrophic of medical complications. And once again, we're going to use a psychotherapy approach that's changing the way they think. Do you really need to fit in that black dress? Or can you just wear this other dress and not be so preoccupied with losing weight? And if you don't think you need, if you get off the topic of losing weight, then you probably won't starve yourself and then need to binge. So somehow break the cycle through the way you think about your weight, think about your body image, and change the behaviors. And once again, some of our Antidepressants may help with impulse control. So bulimic versus anorexic, both lifelong likely struggle, but overall the bulimic patient, because they're distressed by it, because they want to change, have a little bit more success in managing them. Binge eating disorder. 
What do you notice about this diagnosis is that it's bulimic-ish, you must binge, but you don't inappropriately compensate. So you can't vomit, can't use laxatives, diuretics. You can't excessively diet or excessively exercise. It's just reasonable. If I, over, if I binge eat, if I do somehow compensate, it's reasonable. But it cannot be inappropriate, or you would be likely bulimic. So you have someone who overeats in this binge fashion, but you don't inappropriately compensate. You still have to, to binge a certain number of times to get the diagnosis, similar with bulimia, but no inappropriate compensation. Now, do you have to be obese? You don't have to have a BMI 30 or greater. But in general, if you eat a lot of food out of control and don't compensate inappropriately, chances are you are someone with a higher BMI. Whether it's obese or just overweight, chances are they're BMI. But you don't have to see it. And this throws people because sometimes they'll have a question where, here's someone who binge, 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 no compensation, their BMI is 28. And they say, oh, it's got to be unspecified. Why? Well, because their BMI has to be 30. No, it doesn't. It's just often seen in someone who doesn't compensate inappropriately. They often are overweight, not always. Some would say, well, how does, how does this differ than someone who just has a high BMI anyway? Well, some people have high BMIs, and they, they might overeat given how much they expend energy-wise, but are they eating in an uncontrolled fashion? Does it even have to be a binge, or they're just eating too much, again, given their caloric output. So there are differences. You can have a high BMI without binge eating. You can have a high BMI without binge Is there a difference as far as outcome psychologically? They do suggest that if you have a high BMI and it's associated with binging, that you are more likely to have depression, anxiety, less, you would rate your life as being less satisfied than someone with the same BMI but just doesn't have the high BMI because of binge eating. So there is a difference between those two sets of people who might have high BMIs. Health consequences, high BMIs, high BMI, so you're still at risk for all your heart problems and so forth. This seems to, this was just a, a, diagnosis, a diagnosis that was it made prime time in DSM-5. In the previous version, it was in the chapter for disorders under, under research. So this is the first time we've officially been able to diagnose binge eating disorder. It's thought to be distinct and, and valid, so it is diagnosable. And what they're finding is that as much as anorexia, bulimia are much more female dominated, it's not, that bias doesn't exist so much for binge eating disorder. So it might be two to one ratio, female to male, but it's not 10 to one, as in anorexia and bulimia. Still adolescent onset, still lifetime kind of struggle. But you think about it. If I binge eat and binge eat and binge eat and I don't compensate inappropriately, do I ultimately inappropriately compensate? Do I cross over? Oh, you're not binge eating anymore because now I'm vomiting as well. And if I'm vomiting as well, I'm probably bulimic. Does that crossover happen? Not so much. Not so much. It's not just a different phase of bulimia. It's thought to be distinct. And one thing that they is different for sure about bulimic is in bulimia, when do you start binging? You start binging because you just went on a silly diet that you can't sustain. They don't find that the person who binge eats with binge eating disorder actually went on a diet. That's not, that wasn't the catalyst for the overeating. 
So again, distinct, thought to be distinct problems. But nonetheless, the same tools that we would have to manage bulimia, at least the binging part, would be used. So our CBT and our, there are our antidepressants that can be used. Now let's talk about unspecified. So in other words, unspecified are if they're not meeting criteria for any of the three diagnoses we've talked about. So someone whose BMI is in the healthy range, so they can't be anorexic, they vomit all the time. They eat sort of a normal meal and they vomit, but their BMI is not underweight, or their BMI is not too low, so not anorexic. And because they don't binge eat, they're not bulimic. They can't be bulimic. So all you have is a normal weight person who vomits. That's probably not healthy, probably not a good thing, and they're going to get unspecified eating disorder. Or similarly, someone who has a, a BMI that's slightly overweight and then binges and purges, but we talked about once a month, not going to get you the diagnosis. I can lose control, eat a whole bunch of food excessively and throw it up once a month, not going to get you bulimic. It, it'll get unspecified. So that's why we suggest that there's a lot of people that might fall in unspecified. Pediatricians are aware of eating disorders. They're suggested to screen routinely for the presence of an eating disorder. And it seems like this is the most popular of our screening tools called the SCOF. This was developed by people in the UK, hence why one stone means nothing to me. Have you lost one stone in the last three months? What? So there is a meaning for what a stone is in the UK world. So you just basically want to find out have they lost a substantial amount of weight in a short period of time. So sick, obviously, are they inducing vomiting? Do they lose control around food? If you lose control, what's that, what symptom are you likely getting at? Binging. Okay. And the weight lost, you're getting worried about the anorexia part. Do you think you're fat, even though other people say you're not fat? Which means you're probably getting at the distorted judgments. And then does food dominate your life? And so this is a screening quickie that might highlight or rec get you to recognize someone that has an eating issue. Do a few questions to end. once again, start with BMIs, likely useful. BMI is not in the underweight realm, so anorexia is out. Then you think, well, what else does she do? Does she binge? She does binge regularly, but that could put you in binge eating or bulimic. You need to see, does she inappropriately compensate? She does. That gives her bulimia.
Can't be anorexic if your BMI is not low enough. So once again, start with BMI, recognize that is low. So I go down my anorexia checklist, low BMI, yes. Phobic of fat, yes. Distorted judgment, yes. Anorexia. Subtype, does she regularly binge or purge? Yes. That gives her the binge purge type no matter what. So very good. So binge purging Doing one or the other or both will always be the subtype if, even though you, again, exercise all night long, spend days not eating anything, you might restrict as well. But binge eating, purging will supersede the restricting aspect. And then the last one, then break time. So in this scenario again, BMI, not low, anorexia out of the question. What does she do? Binge. Does she binge and do anything else? Does she inappropriately compensate? If you don't inappropriately compensate, you're probably the binge eating disorder. Okay, very good. All right, take a break and then we'll start on learning theory.